All right. How's everybody doing? There it is. Thank you. You know, I don't, I don't know why he's led with my team affiliations every single service. You know, it's just, I got to explain a little bit. So the reason I like the Carolina Panthers is I actually lived most of my life in North Carolina. Um, there it is. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Um, it is the land of sweet tea and fried chicken. Uh, sweet tea is the juice that comes from God's mouth when he speaks, just in case you haven't experienced that. Um, but the strange reason I like the Lakers is I was eight years old, and um, it was my uncle... Uncle Titus, uh, he would play basketball and everything. And I think uh, it had to be maybe in, uh, if I was eight, to 1990 or so. So Lakers were playing the Bulls or something like that. And I was like, who are we going for? And he was like, we're going for Magic Johnson. I said, okay, I'm going for Magic Johnson. And it just stuck. So, you know, I just never changed anything. So that's, that's behind those things or whatnot. Um, but I'm now in the great warm state of Illinois and Chicago, um, which it's not warm at all right now. And what I mean by not warm, earlier this week it was nine. So and let me tell you about this. It gets co- so cold sometimes. Um, last, last, maybe January, December, uh, there were so many days where it was negative. Uh, literally, when the temperature got to four, it felt a little balmy. Like, I'm like, ooh, can't do that again. Can't do that. And then like, uh, I'm always like, when it gets to the winter, why do I live here? Like, I ask myself the question. And so, and then I come to a place like this. I'm like, oh my gosh, God lives here, man. Like, it's sunny and I can see ground and people are outside jogging. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is, this, is, this is interesting this time of year. So, um, but I love this time of the year uh, because this time of the year we're celebrating the greatest holiday that people have been celebrating since July or those who put up your trees and stuff before Christmas. It's okay if you do that. Um, but we love it. Why? Because I think there's so much joy uh, in this time of the year. Um, we're the, the couple reasons why I think that we have joy, um, number one is I get a chance to see my family. Uh, so I don't live near my immediate family. Um, so my wife and I and are not one, not two, not three, but four children um, who are ages eight, six, three, and eight months. Yes, pray for like supernatural energy. We just got to make it through. Um, so our family's all spread out. We live in Illinois. Um, my wife's family lives in New York City uh, and also the Baltimore area. My family lives in North Carolina. I also have one brother who lives in Caribou, Maine. You guys know Caribou? It's like Canada, basically, just south of Canada. Um, and so, but it's only really during these holiday seasons that we have an opportunity to really be together and, and to celebrate and to eat around the table and all those good things. So I love this time of year because our families can reconnect again. Uh, I also love the festivities of this time of year. So when you think about the festivities, like guests Yesterday, no, not yesterday, Friday, excuse me, uh, I had a chance to go and get our Christmas tree. So we've, we've done the fake tree for like five years. Um, so we got a real tree once again, uh, and we went to the place to pick it out. My kids were like, we want that one. I was like, you want that one? Like, yeah. Like, are you sure? I was like, y'all, we're going to get that one. And then we put it on top of our van because, you know, you got to have a van when you have four kids. I always said I'd be the guy who never got a van. I had dreams of an SUV and all that, but... Van it is, van it is, van it is. Just got to live with it. Um, and so, so excited to see them. My wife sent me some pictures of them starting to decorate the tree. Daddy gets to put the star on top, though, so they haven't put that one up there. That's my job. It will be my job forever. Um, I will put, the, put it on top of the tree. And so we got that. Uh, also, even though it's bitter cold, um, the snow is a glorious sight to behold. Uh, so I remember when we first moved up back in 2016, my son, he literally laid across the top of the couch when we started getting our first snow, and he just looked at it like this. 
He was like, Daddy, that snow is so cool. I was like, yes, it is, man. Yes, it is cool. And so it's so many good things that I think happen during the season. But just like there can be incredible joy in this season, there can also be incredible disappointment. Now, I want you to think about this. So I'm going to split the room in half. This side, I want you guys to be joy. Come on. Oh, there it is. There it is. Cheer like the Warriors just won. Even though they, even though they didn't last night, right? They lost. Sorry, just had to take a shot. Sorry, sorry. Enemy territory, enemy territory. But this side, you have extreme disappointment, which is like the game last night. Mm. Um, and I think this season and this time of year, there's a way you have to carry and live through both of those. Um, and so when, when you think about extreme joy, like I said, for me, it's my family, it's spending time, it's the season, it's the festivities, um, but also you have the disappointment. What do I mean by disappointment? Maybe you imagined yourself being in a different place than you were at the end of the year. Maybe it was financially, you thought you'd be further along or different. Maybe you got a diagnosis uh, or maybe even experiencing tragedy. Maybe tragedy. Maybe this is the first time that you're spending the Christmas season without a specific loved one uh, that you did earlier in the year. All these things are true. So you have this joy, but you also have this extreme pain. And I want to name this as disappointment is this gap between those. So disappointment is birth when our reality does not meet our expectations. When our reality is like, okay, we've, we were really here, even though we thought we were going to be here. And the farther that goes, the greater that tension begins to live. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we respond? How do we respond when our disappointment is so great? Or even another question is, how do we respond in a season of tragedy? So maybe it's not just disappointment. Maybe it's not just a job, or maybe there was a relationship or a di diagnosis that you got. Maybe you are experiencing the loss of a loved one, and this is the first Christmas. Um, personally, my family and I, we are going through our second Christmas without my grandfather. Um, and he just passed away last year. He, he lived a long life. Um, he has, I don't even know how many cousins I have now. It's like 22 of us or something like that. He's got a lot of, so my mom also had nine brothers and sisters, so there's just a lot of grandchildren. I'm the favorite, but there's a lot of grandchildren. <laughs> And we, and we have these things. And so I remember um, going to the funeral last year, and uh, my grandmother was still alive, and I found out they were married for almost 60 years. 60 years. And then how easy it's to swing from joy to disappointment in a year. And then every time we enter in this season, it recalls, and you recall those things. And so I want to read a story. It's a biblical story uh, in Luke chapter 2 that is going to talk about someone who probably experienced this swing. Uh, and it begins in, in verse 36, uh, and it reads this. There was a prophet, also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at the very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So this scene right here, what it's painting is, this is when Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus to the temple. 
And Anna, after 84 years, got a chance to experience and witness this. But, but what carried her? Interesting thing about the text, what's not clear about the text so when you read it in the Greek is, was she a widow for 84 years or was she a widow until she was 84? Just something to think through a little bit about how long her journey. She probably was married around 13 or 14, so if she was married for about seven years, that means she was 21 potentially. So between 21 and 84, 28 to 84, that's a long time. So think about this. On your wedding day, for those who are married, or those who desire to be married, was that not a joyful day? And maybe a few days afterwards, like I said, Hopefully that day was joyful, though, like, that day. <laughs> I hope so. Okay, I hope so. Like, you got dreams, like, okay, we're about to hit the honeymoon. All right, cool. We're going to go this. And then you get through your first year, and it's like, okay, we had a good year. And second year and third year, maybe it was a little rocky year four or year five, but you rebounded, and you get to year six. Then Anna and her husband, who doesn't have a name, gets to year seven. And, and somewhere along that seventh year, her husband dies. At a young age, her husband dies. And in that moment, she swings from being extreme joy all the way to extreme disappointment. Now, let me tell you about the precarious situation that a widow has. It's hard being a widow anyway. When I look at my grandmother, and she's surrounded by nine beautiful children, it's hard. It was even harder in the ancient Near East. You see, in the ancient Near East, when a widow was made, when, when, when a husband died and a woman became a widow, she may have not been able to go back to her old family. She literally had to leave her family to go marry him. And there's no guarantee that her old family would take her back. In addition, all the debt they accumulated, or maybe the, all the debt he accumulated, when he died, she had to figure out a way to repay it. If she had no children, no sons specifically, there was no one to take care of her. So daily, and in this society, widows were often pushed to the margins of society often pushed to the margins and they're not cared for. That's why you look at scriptures and it talks about one, it says where the, the teachers of the law devoured widows' houses. They were ripe for corruption. They were very easy to take advantage of. And Anna, who's known as a prophet, who interestingly enough, there are only about 10 women who throughout all of scripture are considered a prophet. Very interesting. She somehow made it all of those years to then be able to bless Jesus when he was brought into the temple. How does she position herself? How does she posture herself to really travail through all of that pain and all of that disappointment and still be able to declare God's glory? I think there are two practices that she committed to that I think we can learn today. Number one is devotion. Everybody say devotion. Number two is worship. Everybody say worship. So when I say devotion, this is what I mean. Devotion means that I am loyal to something despite the circumstances. 
Have you ever had fair weather friends who are with you when they're up, when you're up, but yet when you're down, it may have nothing to say? Now, now I'll, we're a grace-filled space as we, you're letting a Carolina Panther speak to you. No. Sometimes I think that people just don't know how to respond and share during moments of grief. So you're going through something hard and it's like, oh, well, do I say something? Do I not say something? Do I do this? Do this? So, so I think that's part of it. But then you also have folks who are just fair weather friends who will desert us the moment we lose our status. Anna potentially could have been deserted. But devotion says this, no matter what happens in this situation, I'm not going to stop doing what I've been committed to do. So think about this. What did it say Anna did? When I read the scripture, it says this. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. She could have lost her husband and then given up. She could have lost all of her hope and then given up. But the moment she met this tragedy and this difficult situation, what was the first thing she did? She responded in worship. That means you're devoted to the cause. You're devoted to the cause of God. Come hell or high water. She's like, I'm not going to stop worshiping you, God. I know that it's painful right now, but guess what? I'm not going to stop being committed to you. And then you move to worship. So when you're devoted, you keep your eyes on what the real purpose is. And when you worship, I believe in spaces of worship, God has the ability to transform us. Have you ever worshiped before and you just felt the palpable presence of the Holy Spirit in the room? Oh, when you feel the touch of the Holy Spirit, you don't leave here the same. When you feel the touch of the Holy Spirit and God is hovering over you, you're like, yes, God, I know that I'm in pain. I know that I experienced tragedy, but I know you never left me in the middle of it. You didn't leave me on my own, oh God. You are right here beside me. In the book of Genesis, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. It's interesting there. It talks about God hovering over water. In Scripture, water often means chaos something that is uncontrollable, something that cannot be contained, but yet it says that God is hovering over it. Now, the word for hovered or move gives us this imagery of God. It gives us this imagery of a chicken that is brooding over her eggs. Now, when a chicken is brooding over the eggs, what's the chicken doing? It's preparing for those eggs to hatch. It's preparing for the birth of new chickens. That even in the middle of our chaos, God is hovering over us, preparing us for birth. That is the beauty. When we worship, we get to experience a true and living God who is like, yes, I know you're in pain, and I'm not leaving you. I believe this. I believe when we go through seasons of disappointment that we have opportunities to learn more about God and who he is. Here's what I mean. If you've never been broke before, you may not know God as Jehovah Jireh, my provider. If we've never been lonely and we've never been sick, we, never, we may never know God as a healer. If we've never felt alone or overlooked, we may, may never know God as El Roi, the God who sees me. 
You see, when we're going through these moments of tragedy, moments of disappointment, moments of hurt, what we're doing is we're allowing God to introduce new parts of himself to us. And so then the more I learn about God, and then guess what? When I face the next disappointment or tragedy, I'm like, hey, God, you handled it before. You can do it again. That's what it takes when we're going through these moments. I think also we have to realize this, that when we're going through these moments of tragedy, we may not feel like even, I'm going to bend down here, we may not even feel like getting to our knees to pray. We may not feel like getting down here to worship and experiencing God in new ways. We may not feel like submitting to him at this time. We may not like, Anna, she could have said, hey, God, I just lost the person I thought I was going to live the rest of my life with. But she still found the strength to get to her knees to fast and pray. She still found the strength to say, God, I'm committed to you. She was committed so much and for so long that she was able to see the Messiah and give encouragement to every single other person who was in and who had hope for the redemption of Jerusalem. All because she decided to devote herself and she decided to worship. Now, sometimes I believe there are obstacles for our worship. There are three in specific that I want to talk about. Number one is busyness. <clears throat> Lose my voice. <laughs> number two is disappointment. And number three, I said it is tragedy. What do I mean by busyness? Sometimes we get so busy, we can't actually be present with God. Like in this season, okay, I got to get these presents. I got to get the tree. Got to get it set up. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to go get the uh, gift for the company party that I don't really want to go to with people I don't really like. <laughs> and we do all these things like, I got to get it ready. Got to go. Got to go. And God is like, I just want you to be present. Can we take a few moments and be present with God? Because God wants our presence, P-R-E-N-S-C-E, more than he wants our presence, P-R-E-N-S-E-T-S. Where's the busyness in our life that we may need to put to the side so that we can focus on the presence of God? The second one, like I said, is disappointment. Disappointment's going to come. Disappointment is a part of life. Being a Christ follower doesn't make us immune to disappointment. It just allows us a God who's going to sit with us in our disappointment. And then tragedy. This is maybe it was a diagnosis. Maybe it was the end of a relationship. But whatever it is, God is saying, through your devotion and worship, I will be with you. How many of y'all believe that in the room today? That we serve a God who says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will be always with you. Every tear you cry, I see. I will wipe the tears from your eyes. I am with you, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the season that we're living in. And we illuminate joy because God is with us. We illuminate joy because the peace is with us. We illuminate joy. And this is my challenge. I want to challenge you today that if you find yourself joyful, to be a thermostat for joy. And what do I mean by a thermostat? 
What's the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer? Mmm, so good. Smart people, I love it. A thermometer tells us what the temperature is. A thermostat sets the atmosphere. I want you to be an atmosphere of joy in whatever space that you're in. When you go to your job, be joyful. When everybody else is around, turn that room upside down with the love of God. Let the joy resonate from your smile, from your eyes, and it's the true joy, not the joy that the world gives, but a joy that the world can't take away. Because when it's that joy, that joy changes the atmosphere of everywhere you go. That's the joy if you are in that season. If you are in a season of disappointment or tragedy, I want to challenge you to hook up with somebody who has joy. Now, what do I mean by that? Sometimes, because I'm a joyful person, like most of the time, except when the Panthers lose. (laughs) But the joy, sometimes we try to go and say, hey, it's okay, just get over it. No joyful people. Let people go through their grief. It's okay. Grieving is hard, it's real, and it hurts. And I know I serve a God who can heal you. But it's okay to take that process. So if you're here on this side under disappointment, continue to commit yourself to prayer. Continue to commit yourself to fasting. Find yourself a community that can raise you up. And if you're over on this side and you're joyful, be a thermostat. Change the atmosphere for every room that you're in. You know what someone says the most joyful sound is? The laughter of a baby. Except if it's three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And no kids live in your house. That's really scary. (laughs) Listen, we have an eight month old. And the joy she brings when she laughs lights up our whole house. I'm like, she doesn't have a care in the world. She's like, eh, and we feed her. She's like, eh, and then we change her. It's like, no wonder you're so joyful. (laughs) But what if you were that same kind of joyful person that like a baby, when you stepped in, the room lights up? Not because of your bank account, not because of whether your health, but simply because the love of Jesus is inside of you so much that it emanates to the room around you. If we could do that, we could grasp this season in a way that we have never imagined. We can be that joyful. It takes prayer, it takes some fasting. Takes getting ourselves in a position to where we can hear from God so that we can in turn emanate and pour out that joy in this season because God is with us and God is with the world and God is in you. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and we thank you for who you are, O Lord. Let us be thermostats of joy in this part of the world, O God. Whatever room we walk into, Lord, let people see your light and your love. Whatever space we walk into, when they see our eyes, they're going to see your eyes. When they hear our voice, they're going to hear your voice, Lord. 
Let us love ridiculously and recklessly and joyfully so that people are changed and they come to know you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let us all say amen. amen. Thank you so much. So, yeah. Thanks, Jared. Thank you. Man. <clears throat> I want to invite you all to stand up with us. I love that. I love that of being a thermostat and then also just stay in the presence. You may be here today. You may have come. We say this each and every week. You might be here in a season where you're just feeling dead, you're feeling broken, or you're feeling lost. And um, our theology is really simple here, that there's nothing so dead that God cannot resurrect again, that there's nothing so lost mm. that he can't find. There's nothing so broken that he cannot do a mending work in. Amen. And so um, maybe you just need to find that today and allow him to do that transformative work in you today. And I want to invite you, there's people at the front of the room to, to come forward and let him start doing that transformative work in you today. Find some next steps. And for those of you who are, are in, in that season, this is a good home to be in. We're an inn. We'll take care of you. You're welcome here. You're welcome just to be and to sit and to be known and loved. Um, and there's people around here that will help be a thermostat and love you well. Um, if you're new with us, thanks for coming. Um, you can go by the new friends desk. Get hooked up with us. We'd love to see you for a couple times. Get to know us. Give us a couple weeks. Um, and thank you for being a, a generous church. Um, and uh, this Compassion Project and all the other things going on. You can put your uh, common cards, your, your prayer requests, uh, your generous living stuff in the box um, in the back of the room as you guys leave. And Jared, I asked if you'd give us a blessing. And so we have a posture just to, like this to just receive. All right. God, may the light of your love emanate on our smiles. And may our joy infect those who are around us. Infect them in a way to where they have no choice but to ask the question, what must we do to be saved? Let us be your light. Let us be your salt. This week, next week, the week after, this entire season, let us be a thermostat of contagious joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you guys. See you next week.